Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. My son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Pickaxe and Roll brought to you by Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. Part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I am excited to discuss the NBA at large today as we kind of transition in between August and September here. This podcast will come out uh, night of August 28th. Uh, You'll probably listen to a day of August 29th or the 30th or so. And we're finally getting into the close period of the deep off season. Still got a little bit of time between now and when media day starts where the Denver Nuggets will host their media day, I believe on September 26th. So just under a month away from now, but I am going to start really ramping up the preview content, uh, really start ramping up the Nuggets preview content specifically on milehighsports.com. On the website on Monday, You'll be able to find where I ask the question, can Nikola Jokic win a third straight MVP award? I'm going to ask that along with 19 other preview questions for the Nugget season in a 20 questions format article where I'm going to ask one of those questions every single day during the weekdays between now and media day. Should be some good preview content, should be some good fun. Now, I've got a minutes projection coming out on Tuesday as well, so be on the lookout for those things on the website. But for now, in this podcast, I wanted to just have some fun with this one. Didn't really have, like, I, I had a Nicole Jokic podcast planned. I didn't really want to talk about Jokic. Like, talked about him on Friday with Swipe a Cam after the, uh, or on Thursday night, after the big uh, Serbia-Greece matchup. Serbia also played today against Turkey, and Nikola Jokic helped win in that game as well. 
Uh, Serbia is doing really well. We'll have plenty of time to talk about him in Eurobasket and everything that's coming up on that front. But for now, I just kind of wanted to take a step back, think about every team in the NBA. It's a good time to do this because there are some teams that are going to make some moves between now and the start of the season. But most of the time, these teams are pretty much set in stone where you know what they're going to be or at least have a pretty good idea of what they are going to be heading into the year. And as I've done some of these preview pieces for uh, each of the divisions on this podcast channel, I've learned a lot more about some of the Eastern Conference teams and also some of the uh, teams that I don't usually focus on in the West as much. And so got some good takes, takes that I want to fire off. So first segment, only two segments today. First segment, we'll talk about the Eastern Conference. Second segment, we'll talk about the Western Conference. And I'm just going to fire off one take that I firmly believe about every single one of these teams during the 2022-23 season. This isn't one of those podcasts where it's going to be down into the depths of Denver Nuggets content, and that's fine. It doesn't really need to be. There will be plenty of time for that. As I mentioned, go check out the website, milehighsports.com, if you want to get into that. But for this one, I just kind of wanted to freestyle on some of these other teams. So let's get into it. Southeast Division first, the Atlanta Hawks. Spoke about them in my Southeast pod And I think that they're going to be a super loud team. They made the DeJounte Murray trade. I'm calling it super loud 50 wins. So like they're going to be a four seed or a five seed or somewhere around there. Nothing too crazy. But the DeJounte Murray trade, that does make them better. He's an upgrade over what they previously had. Uh, Prayers up to Danilo Gallinari, who tore his meniscus in uh, for uh, Team Italy today as they prepare for the European qualifier for the World Cup. But that was the player that DeJounte Murray was traded for. I think everybody would say that that's an upgrade for the Hawks. It's going to be spoken about like it's an upgrade for the Hawks. Murray has already been very vocal in terms of uh, matching up with Paolo Bancaro in the offseason. And I feel like Atlanta is one of those teams that just talks a lot And we're going to hear that a lot during this upcoming season, but I just don't think that Atlanta's that good. Like they're not at the top of the conference good. They'll be in kind of the middle of the pack in the playoff picture. Now, Charlotte, they are going to be the worst team in the league, worst record in the league. And it's kind of wild to think about because they have Lamella Ball. He just made an all-star team, more of an all-star alternate than anything, but They had Miles Bridges, and obviously the Miles Bridges situation is not going to be solved for a while, but they have a really bad roster in general. And what that looks like is you've got Lamella Ball, Terry Rozier, um, Gordon Hayward, PJ Washington, and Mason Plumley. That's your team. That's the group that you have. That's the group that you're bringing with you. And to me, this strikes me as a team that isn't going to have enough scoring in general. They'll be able to get by on some of what Lamelo does in terms of creating open shots for people. But Miles Bridges was a pretty solid 20-6 and kind of guy for that team. They're not going to have him. And they're going to be relying on some of their younger players that they've drafted. And I just don't think that's a great recipe for success. Miami. 
kind of the opposite of the Atlanta Hawks. Miami is a silent 50 wins kind of team. They'll be around the same place, but as loudly as people will talk about the Hawks, how dangerous they are, how adding Trey Young and DeJounte Murray together makes them dangerous, Miami is going to do exactly what they did last year, maybe minus a couple of wins, and they're going to be about at the same place that Atlanta is. Miami led the conference last year in wins. They won't do that again this year, just because I think Jimmy Butler is getting a year older. They didn't really improve in any way, shape, or form, but they didn't get worse. P.J. Tucker is a loss for them, but it's not a big loss. It's more of a playoffs kind of loss. Orlando. I think Paolo wins Rookie of the Year, but Franz Wagner is going to be the best player on that team. Franz Wagner, one of the picks that they picked up in the Nikola Vucevic trade, where they added Wendell Carter Jr., uh, some other player, uh, some other contract. I, I was Otto Porter. And the eighth pick in the draft, which turned into Franz Wagner. They drafted Jalen Suggs, Orlando did, at five. In the same year, they drafted Franz Wagner last year at eight. And he turned out to be great. He's a really good player. And I was pretty impressed with him when I saw him. I think that Franz Wagner is very good. He's going to be the best player on that team. Paolo will have his moments. He'll be like a 17, 18 point per game guy with seven rebounds, four assists, maybe three assists, something like that. Pretty solid power forward numbers. But Franz Wagner, he's going to be the all-around player that they need. And they're going to be better than people expect. Now, Washington, the team that Denver traded Monte Morris and Will Barton to in the Cantavius Caldwell-Pope trade, I think that both Monte Morris and Will Barton will be traded at the deadline for Washington. I think they're going to be pretty bad. They are a straight-up 30-35 to win team. Uh, Kristaps Porzingis has improved in terms of I think his fit and what he looks like in the NBA, he's really converted to center now. He's no longer a power forward, and that will help their offense. But in terms of the Washington Wizards defense, they do not have enough, and they are not going to look very good on that end of the floor, and it's going to lose them a bunch of games. So I think that Morris makes a lot of sense as a trade piece. He's not going to be their their point guard of the future. Will Barton, expiring contract. He'll show some stuff as a scorer, something that another team could use. But I very much doubt that those guys are on the roster. Monte more likely than Barton. Central Division. Chicago Bulls. One of Zach Levine or DeMar DeRozan is going to be gone by next season, 2023-24. And it's tough because you don't know which one it's going to be. Levine was obviously the guy that was drafted there. I think a lot of people would say that it makes more sense to keep Levine. They just signed him to an extension. DeRozan will be older, kind of on the, he'll be on the last year of his contract at that point. So it makes more sense for DeRozan to be the guy that goes. But it also makes more sense for Levine uh, because he wanted to be that top guy. He was going to be that best player, but DeRozan just was better last year. It didn't lead to anything important. They were too injured to really make good on what was a good start. And their defense is not going to be very good next year either. So I would be a little bit worried about Chicago. They've got 
uh, they they feel like they're very precarious at this stage where you've got DeMar DeRozan, gave you a really good year, a career high year. Is he going to give you another? Probably not. And if that's the case, Levine or DeRozan, they kind of cannibalize each other a little bit. So wonder if one of them is going to go. Now, Cleveland, I think they're in line for 50 wins. It seems like people forgot about Cleveland a little bit. They fell off last year, a lot of it due to injuries, but they have a young nucleus. Unlike the Chicago's, which is much older, Cleveland, they feel like they're still on the upward trajectory. When you add a guy like Evan Mobley to your roster and Darius Garland and Jared Allen, they make all-star teams last year. Obviously, those guys were kind of fringe all-stars, not necessarily in the the thick of things, but there's no doubt that Evan Mobley has the talent to be the guy that leads that team at some point. And it's going to be interesting because he's not really a traditional, like you, you would think that the point guard, a playmaker is going to be the leader. Mobley could be that guy. He could be like a Giannis. He could be like an Anthony Davis. I think that they win 50 games, and I think that both Allen and Mobley average 18 points and 10 rebounds next game. They'll each average at least a block a game too, maybe closer to two, which is insane. Detroit, I think Cade Cunningham, despite being on a really bad team, is going to make an all-star game. Really, really strong rookie year last year. Despite the fact that the efficiency wasn't there, he started the year pretty slowly. But you could see in real time just how good he could get. He was making all of these reads with being the six foot eight playmaker that he is. He can do some LeBron type things, some Jason Tatum type things, some Paul George type things. There's a lot to like about Cade, uh, kind of like Luca in a lot of different ways. Luca wasn't an all star. Immediately when he came to the NBA, Cade, not as strong of a rookie year as what Luca had, but it was kind of in line of what you'd expect from a first-year player. I think that he could be a second-year All-Star, probably averaging something like 22-7-7, and and the efficiency isn't going to be great, but he's going to really showcase just how good he can be. Indiana. They've been in some trade rumors for much of the season, but I think it's I think it's funny. I think that Buddy Heald and Miles Turner finished the year on the Indiana Pacers, which is nuts because they've been in these rumors for uh, Russell Westbrook for like trading Russell Westbrook for Heald and Turner makes a lot of sense for both sides unless you you think about the Indiana Pacers and that they want to establish a culture and a culture where their young guys can get better, is, Ty- is Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Matherin, those are the two young guys I think they, they think most highly of. Are those guys going to get better if they are also flanked by Russell Westbrook, if he's leading the show? Probably not. I don't think they do that. I think they go away from that instead. And Heald and Turner, they help make Indiana functional at least more functional than they were last year, and they win 33 games, which is a pleasant surprise, as opposed to the year before when I think they won 25. And Milwaukee. I think Giannis wins MVP. I think Giannis, what he showed in what he's been showing during FIBA, uh, he's just at another level and continues to rise in what he usually does. 
he's going to be out for blood and the Bucks are going to be out for blood too, they are going to win close to 60 games, if not win 60. And one of the knocks against Giannis in last year was that even though Denver only won 48 games when Jokic won the MVP, Giannis and the Bucks only won 51. Now, Brooke Lopez was out for much of the year. They dealt with some injuries to Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, and obviously they didn't have a full season from their entire core. I'm going to predict that they are a little bit more healthy this time around, and Giannis is the MVP as a result. Now, last division here in the East, Boston. They're going to win 55 games, which everyone's going to be like, okay, yeah, that, that's kind of what we expected. It's going to feel a little angsty, going to feel like, man, we nearly traded Jalen Brown for Kevin Durant. That was something that we really wanted to do. We had to ask that question, and now Jalen Brown is not super happy. He's saying that he was playing better than Jason Tatum in the playoffs, or at least that's what he's thinking, and Jason Tatum should be the guy that gets moved. And for a team that was that turned it around entirely last year that looks so, so good, they have a lot of talent, and they've made a lot of sense in terms of their defense. I bet their defense slides a little bit, maybe not at one, maybe they're closer to three to five, and their offense kind of goes backwards as well. We'll see if that has, actually happens, but they caught lightning in a bottle uh, in the second half of the season last year, and were very, very good. They're going to be really good this year. They're going to have more wins than they did. I think everybody's going to be a little bit upset about it. Brooklyn, we're getting the why were you worried about me season from Ben Simmons, where he just kind of shows up out of nowhere, comes into camp, is a starter for the for the Nets. Kyrie, KD, Joe Harris will be out there. Nick Claxton will be out there as the center. And then Ben Simmons is also going to play some five, but he's going to play kind of in a versatile jack-of-all-trades kind of role where he'll get to handle the ball a little bit, but he'll also run some handoffs. He'll do some things in transition. And people are going to be like, wow, Ben Simmons looks pretty good. Looks kind of like he did. About 15 points, eight rebounds, eight assists, all defense caliber player. Maybe he's not the second or third, maybe or maybe not the first or second best player on a championship team, but if he's the third, and if Kyrie Irving shows up as the second best guy, then maybe Brooklyn looks a little bit better. I think they may win 50 games. Now New York, they're going to trade for Donovan Mitchell between now and the start of the NBA season, and they will be your classic 47-win 7 seed. Not too good to the point where they're really threatening the people above them, but not so bad that you look at them and you're like, okay, they're a massive disappointment. They're going to get to that seven seed threshold with Mitchell and Jalen Brunson as the new additions. They'll still have Julius Randle and RJ Barrett. They'll have Mitchell Robinson. They just signed Isaiah Hartenstein. They're going to have a solid foundation for both sides of the floor where they'll probably be in the top half of both offense and defense. They probably won't be much better than that on either side because they have big weaknesses that teams can take advantage of in the playoff context. But in the regular season, they will be good enough to get to the playoffs or at least get out of the play-in. Now, Philly, I bet they're moderately disappointing. 
I have to imagine that most people feel in Philly like they could be going on a run. They could go for 54 wins uh, for or 55 plus wins. James Harden's going to look like an MVP candidate again. Joel Embiid is the best player in the world. That's that's what they're saying. That's not going to happen. And it's going to be moderately disappointing because of the hype that they're receiving. But they're still going to be a top three seed. They're going to exceed what Atlanta and Miami put out. They're still going to exceed probably Cleveland and Chicago. Milwaukee will be above them. Boston will be above them. But I think Philly probably wins about 52 games. Everybody's going to be like, yes, this is fantastic. And they will still have some weaknesses show up in the playoffs. But there's going to be a lot of people talking themselves into the Sixers. That's just how it happens. And until they prove it in the playoffs, I I can't get behind them for obvious reasons. But it does sort of feel like they have the momentum. And I think they could struggle with that a little bit. And finally, Eastern Conference, Toronto. I think they're going to struggle to recapture kind of the big wing magic that they had. They had a lot of lineups where they featured Scotty Barnes, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, Precious Achua, Chris Boucher. They had a lot of guys that they really like that can play different positions. Thaddeus Young is one of them too. Where you've got a lot of different players that can play a versatile wing ball style, like switch everything, do everything. I bet it struggles a little bit this time around. Teams are going to figure it out just a little bit more. It's still a pain to go up against, but for a team like Denver, if you have a short, uh, like Denver, if they have a short day or a short 24 hours or so to turn around and play Toronto, that could be a game that they lose for sure. If a team has time to prepare and properly takes time to break down their weaknesses, a lot of teams are going to be able to do that. I think Toronto finishes 500, maybe 45 wins, somewhere around there, but they're going to be a little bit more disappointing than I think a lot of people would suspect. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to transition over to the Western Conference, but first, this podcast, as you know, it's brought to you by Superbook Sports. Summer is here, and there's no better time to make your first bet with Superbook. Along with its usual vast betting menu, Superbook already has a lineup for every pro football game this fall. Plus, when you make your first deposit on the Superbook app or sign up at Superbook.com, they will match 100% of your money up to $500. It's never too early to start thinking about football at Superbook Sports. Place your bet and start winning today. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. Pickaxe and Roll, Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, Let's transition now to the Western Conference, where I get to talk about some of these teams that I have talked about before, some that I haven't. Uh, I'm a big fan of of some of these teams. Like, uh, we'll we'll get into it here real quickly, but there are some interesting tidbits that I want to get into, starting with the Pacific Division, Golden State champions of 2022. 
I think that Jonathan Kaminga is going to lead the team in true shooting. And that might mean very little to people that listen to this pod. They're like, okay, so what? What is he actually going to do? Well, they have a role kind of open to them now that Gary Payton II is not on the roster, where you need a guy who's a play finisher that isn't a center. Jonathan Kaminga is not a center. He's like 6'7", 6'6", 6'6", to 6'8", in that general vicinity, 225 pounds, 230 pounds, and is just built like a Mack truck, very strong, very athletic, big leaper. He could be the the same kind of finisher that Gary Payton II was, as long as he leverages his physical abilities, as long as he has the right mentality. If he goes to the rim and like he'll occasionally take a three, don't get me wrong, but he's not going to be freestyling off the dribble or anything like that. He's going to have his opportunities basically spoon-fed to him. And if he replaces what Gary Payton II did on offense, that team is still going to be really good. Gary Payton II was a very big key for them. Dante DiVincenzo kind of fills it in one way. Jonathan Kaminga might fill it in another. Moses Moody's also a pretty interesting option for them. Uh, they added, gosh, who else did they? Oh, they added Jamichael Green. But I think Jonathan Kaminga is going to play more than Jamichael Green in a lot of different cases. Now the LA Clippers. A guy that's kind of been forgotten in the the entire mix of the LA Clippers rotation, I think that Terrence Mann emerges as their starting point guard, which is wild to say because he was more of a shooting guard. He's more of a guy that they aren't necessarily going to trust at the beginning of the season. But they have a, a point guard rotation right now that includes Mann, but mostly it includes Reggie Jackson and John Wall, Reggie Jackson is what he is. I think people know that he has capabilities, that he can run a good pick and roll, that he can space the floor a little bit, but is kind of inefficient in a lot of ways. And then John Wall, nobody really knows what you're going to get. So I think with Terrence Mann, you get a better defensive starter. You get somebody who can switch, who can play the physical brand of basketball that the Clippers want to play. And he can do a lot of different things off ball. And like just being helpful for a team that already features Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. If they ran a lineup, a starting unit that featured Mann, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Nicholas Batum, maybe not Batum, maybe go Marcus Morris and Ivisa Zubac, that's a big, strong lineup of a lot of players that are just very capable. And Mann is probably the best guy to defend point guards in that group. So you get him out there. He's a young guy that they want to develop. I think it makes sense. LA Lakers. This is a fun one. Russell Westbrook doesn't get traded. But I think he's sent home in November. Pretty early on in the year. Things clearly not working out. My prediction is that they're not going to be able to find a trade partner for him, at least initially, and they're going to have to just tell him to leave the team. Other players have seen this happen before where they've had to kind of separate. Ben Simmons kind of one of them. Others have too. I think that Russell Westbrook is a guy where they're going to basically just send him home. Be like, yeah, we, we are better when you're not out here, when you're not on the roster. 
that's going to be a tough pill for him to swallow. Well, it's going to be pretty funny for everybody else, that's for sure. Phoenix Suns. I think that they make a big trade during the middle of the season. DeAndre Ayton, Cam Johnson, both of them get traded for Pascal Siakam. The Raptors, they're sub-500 in the middle of the season. They play their physical brand of wing ball, but it's not working as well. And there's a real changing of the guard happening between Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes over with Toronto. But Pascal Siakam, still a really good player, still a really talented player, probably not the best player on a championship team, which he has to be with the Raptors, but could he be the second or third best team or third best player on a championship team? Absolutely. Which means that a team like Phoenix might not be a bad idea. He could be a small ball five for them in a lot of units. They would need some size to replace Aiton in a lot of different ways, but they could come up with that. They could figure that out. Maybe they start Siakam at the four and a nominal starting five. But then their best lineup will include Jay Crowder at the four, Siakam at the five, Bridges at the three, Chris Paul at the one, and Devin Booker at the two. I think they're going to like that. I think Toronto would really like Aiton as well. He would be a good fit for them, despite the fact that he's a little bit more traditional. I think he makes a lot of sense, especially if they can't acquire Kevin Durant. So you get a team that features Scotty Barnes and DeAndre Aiden for the next foreseeable future. I think that's a pretty good team. Now, Sacramento Kings, they've got a little bit of momentum behind them, not necessarily doing anything crazy, but it feels like a lot of people are higher on them than what they've done previously. I think I am too. I think they win about 35 to 37 games next year, which is improvement. It's definitely improvement for them. I also think that De'Aaron Fox is going to request a trade in the offseason. He's not going to want to be there. He'll have two years left on his deal, from what I understand. And at that point, he'll just probably want to go anywhere else. Because if the best that Sacramento can do is win 35 to 37 games, then they really should be rebuilding. They've been trying to go the other direction and get back into the playoffs with the addition of Sabonis. They drafted Keegan Murray, who's more of a win-now kind of move than adding somebody like Jaden Ivey. Now, because they traded away Tyrese Halliburton and did not draft Jaden Ivey, it would seem that they are very committed to Fox and Davion Mitchell. But if Fox requests a trade and wants to get out of there, I think there will be suitors. Now move to the Southwest, Dallas. I think they're going to be a play-in team until they trade for De'Aaron Fox. I think this move makes a lot of sense for them. It won't happen until next year, but what they were missing or what they missed uh, when they lost Jalen Brunson, I think that's going to show through next season where they're going to have a lot of players just load up on Luka Doncic. They're going to try to stop him at all costs. He's going to be an MVP caliber player still. There's no doubt about that, but if his best release valve for somebody else that can run offense is Spencer Dinwiddie, it's probably not good enough to win a title. Actually, it definitely isn't good enough. They're going to regress. They didn't replace Jalen Brunson with anything this offseason. They got bigger when they probably shouldn't have. 
And I think that they're going to back away from that and they'll probably go after a guy like Fox. They've had trades with the Sacramento Kings before, but it's it strikes me as a as a really nice move for a team like Dallas where you can play 48 minutes of Luka or Fox on the court and they'll always be able to stagger. They'll always be able to create. They can move Spencer Dinwiddie in that move as the matching salary and then try to just add as many young pieces and picks to make it work as possible. They don't have a lot of young pieces and picks to get excited about, to write home about, but I do think that that's the kind of move that they'll be looking for. Now, Houston, I think that they are on the Phoenix trajectory. And what that means is you've got a player in Jalen Green. You've got a couple of other young guys that you get to be excited about. Alper and Shangun, uh, Jabari Smith Jr. Those guys, it's going to take some time. There's no doubt about that. But in a few years, when they're great, or when those guys are ready to play, not great necessarily, but Jalen Green will finally show he's ready to go. Uh, they'll go away from Kevin Porter Jr. I think when they finally trade for Marcus Smart in four seasons, they're going to look like a really, really good team. Marcus Smart, Jalen Green is the primary backcourt. Jabari Smith is kind of the, your primary forward scorer. It's going to look pretty good for a team like that, but it is going to take some time. Next year, they'll probably win like 25 games. Memphis? I think that Memphis is going to be good, but I think they've got some regression coming to them this year. John Morant was out of his mind. There's no doubt about that this last year. He was very, very good, and he even missed some time, so it's not like they can't uh, know what they're going to do when John Morant misses some time. They re-signed Tyus Jones. They know that they have a good safety valve for when John Morant misses, but they're going to miss... Jaron Jackson Jr. at the beginning of the season too, and I just think that that's going to really affect their defense. They're not going to be able to play a lot of good defense with that team. Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks, solid defensive duo on the wing, but they still have John Morant, who's not a great defender. They still have Stephen Adams as their primary starter, but Adams is slowing down, not necessarily looking as good defensively. And who else can do it other than Jaron Jackson in the middle of that team? Brandon Clark? Xavier Tillman? Santi Aldama? I'm not really sure. Like, I think that they're a team that's probably liable to be a six seed, maybe a seven seed, uh, when, the, when the dust settles. They strike me as a team that will still be good, but it might be 48 wins good as opposed to the, the crazy numbers that they were putting up last year. Now, New Orleans, I think they're the opposite. I think they're a team that with the addition of Zion Williamson to the foundation that they already established last year, I think they're going to win the most teams in the division. New Orleans, over Dallas, over Memphis, obviously over Houston and San Antonio. If I was a betting man, I would bet on on uh, New Orleans leading the team or leading the division in wins. Whether that's 48, whether that's 50? I don't know. But Zion Williamson is that talented that he can help really kind of change the trajectory of that team. They won like 37 games last year, but they were 500 basically uh, after the CJ McCollum trade. 
it's not that far off to think that they could be a 50-win team. Zion kind of changes that. Another year of Herb Jones, another year of Brandon Ingram and CJ playing together. Trey Murphy is going to be better. They've got some other guys. Jonas Valanciunas is still there. They're going to have a good foundation for winning, and they're going to be a tough out for anybody in the playoffs. I think that they could be the fifth or sixth seed. And San Antonio, they're not going to make the playoffs this year. And I don't think they're going to make the playoffs for another five seasons. They have a long rebuild ahead of them. It's probably not going to be a quick turnaround like people would want. They're going to get a really high lottery pick this next year, but they've got some picks coming to them and they're, they're definitely setting up for that rebuild. But it's going to take a while. I don't see anybody on their roster that really makes sense as kind of that tier one kind of leader of a rebuild. You knew that Jokic could be that for Denver. Carl Anthony Towns made sense for that with Minnesota. They had a lot of other, like you, you see the uh, these other teams too. Jason Tatum with the Celtics. There isn't that tier one kind of player with the Spurs. And it will take some time for them to get that player. And it will take some time for that player to develop into the player that they need that player to be. Player, 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 player. All right, Northwest. Let's wrap up with the Northwest here. Minnesota just made the Rudy Gobert trade. Obviously, they have Tim Connolly in-house now. I think they're going to win 52 games. They're at 46, I think, this past year. They probably could have been higher than that. Had a little bit of variance. But this is a team that is going to have a pretty high floor. Just because Rudy Gobert has always been on teams that have had a really high floor. 52 wins seems about right for them just because they there's not a ton of competition in the Western Conference at, because of the, the lower tier teams. Like the Lakers are not going to be a problem for the Minnesota Timberwolves. The Sacramento Kings are not going to be a problem despite the fact they could take one game or two off of a team like that. But Portland... OKC, Utah, those teams are also not going to be a problem. So I would guess that Minnesota wins about 50 to 52 games. Makes a lot of sense for them to do that, but I think they're going to go backward from there. 52 wins seems like a really strong high watermark, but Rudy Gobert is going to slow down a little bit. He's already 30 years old. His game is very much predicated on athleticism, being the best possible defender he can be. Beyond him, Anthony Edwards is very good. Is he a superstar? I think it's fair to question that. It's fair to question whether Carl Anthony Towns has a higher level to go. D'Angelo Russell is what he is at this point. They don't have a lot beyond those guys. And though those players will be very helpful, their depth is going to kill them in a lot of different ways. They're going to have a lot of bad shooting nights. They're going to have a lot of bad defensive nights. And though they will be pretty good in the first year, I think their their lack of depth is going to really hurt them going forward. OKC, they have probably not a lot of reason to compete this year. Chet Holmgren injury, really sad, really unfortunate for him. Definitely doesn't like, like it doesn't do anybody justice for him not to play. You would want to see a guy like that play and develop and make sure to get OKC to a new threshold. I think the first year that OKC tries to win, they're going to win like 50 plus games. 
They're not trying yet. They still have a bunch of draft picks that they have to kind of turn around and flip. They've still drafted players like Jalen, like Jalen Williams to uh, Osman Dang, like Jang. They have a lot of players that are still young, that are still going to continue to develop. But until they kind of convert some of those players into veterans that can be helpful around Shea Gilgis Alexander, Josh Giddy, Chad Holmgren, guys like that, until they convert those guys into vets, I just don't know what we're going to see from this team. But the first time that they try to win, they're going to be really good. Portland? I think that Anthony Simons, I think he's a comparable player to CJ McCollum, who they just traded. They've been very high on Anthony Simons for a long time, but I just don't think it's going to matter. Like, Damian Lillard is a very, very talented player. Anthony Simons is also turning out to be a talented player. Jeremy Grant, talented offensive player. Gary Payton II is not going to be able to carry everything for them defensively. And Yusuf Nurkic, despite the fact that he's a, a decent rim protector, he's not a good one. He's not really impactful in that way, and he can't make up for the, di- the, the difficulties of a team like Portland, and they have so many of them. There are going to be some good defensive lineups that they feature where they have Josh Hart, where they have Jeremy Grant and Gary Payton II all on the floor at the same time, but can they play enough offense with those guys too? Are they going to take Nurkic off the floor? Are they going to take Simons off the floor? I think it's a good question. And last two, Utah. I think they're in for a process-style rebuild. They're going to trade Donovan Mitchell at some point. There's too much smoke for that not to happen. If they hold on to him, he's going to fester. It's going to be bad. So they need to pull the plug. And they've already grabbed a king's ransom worth of draft picks from Minnesota. They've already grabbed Talon Horton Tucker from the Lakers for Patrick Beverly. Can they convert some of those other guys into picks? Probably. This feels like a good opportunity for them to really sell off all of their veteran pieces, try to recoup as much value as possible, and then turning Donovan Mitchell into the best possible trade package that he possibly can get. Whether that's Quentin Grimes, Obi Toppin, and seven first-round picks from New York, whether it's something from Miami, uh, I don't know. Maybe Detroit gets involved and they trade Jaden Ivey there. Uh, Maybe Toronto gets involved and they trade Gary Trent Jr. and OG Ananobi. And then just have a, a, a bunch of picks as well. I don't know what they're going to do. It's going to be interesting to see how Utah handles this. But I think that they're in for a bad few years. And it'll be interesting to see whether they can get out of that like the process did or if it's going to take even more time than that. And lastly, your Denver Nuggets. I think the Nuggets are going to win the title next year. I haven't said that out loud a lot. I've implied that I think that they have a really good shot. I've implied that their title odds this year, which are like plus 2,000 at a lot of bookmakers, Those seem pretty crazy to me just because you're getting as much talent back as you do, and they already have debatably the best player in the world. 
Like, it just makes a lot of sense that they cleared up some weaknesses and are going to be better. But even more than that, I think people forget that Jamal Murray is as good as he is. I think people forget that Michael Porter Jr. is as good as he is. Denver's going to win a lot of games with that duo combining for like 75, 80 points. Those guys are going to be crazy, especially when the playoffs roll around. The last time they were all playing together in the playoffs, they made the Western Conference Finals and lost to the title champions, like the LA Lakers. And the Lakers were just better prepared for that moment than Denver was. But Jokic is a better player than he was then. Porter is certainly a better player than he was then. If Murray just gets back to the level that he was at that point where he was averaging 26 and 6 on 50, like he was at 45, but if he's at 40, that's fine too. 50, 40, 90 or close to it. That's incredible. And that's all Denver's going to need. They have enough defensive personnel to surround those guys and make sure that they defend enough. But as long as their offense is humming, they're going to be impossible to stop. Nobody is going to be able to keep up with them. And it's going to be a race in a lot of those cases. Where you've got a team like the Warriors, where you've got a team like the Suns, you've got a team like the Clippers, the T-Wolves. They're going to have to race to keep up with Denver. And they're going to get tired. And then they're going to bow out. And then Denver's going to be in the championship. And whoever you face, you've got a good shot. Whether it's Giannis and the Bucks, whether it's the Sixers and Joel Embiid, whether it's the Brooklyn Nets and and Nick Claxton at center, there's going to be a lot of reasons to pick Denver because they may just have the best player in the world. And once you get to that point, it's pretty easy. That is going to do for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning into this episode. I'm going to be back on Wednesday. Going to be recording a podcast probably Tuesday night on another division. Maybe I'll focus in on one of these divisions, but I just decided I wanted to take a break. I was going to talk about Jokic, but we were talking about him plenty. He's he's got all the credit in the world, and he'll he'll will plenty of airtime left to talk about Jokic going forward. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you guys very soon. members save on meeting up with friends save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups that's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier plus members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods plus when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship start a show together with your included paramount plus subscription walmart plus members save on this plus so much more start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com paramount plus a central plan only separate registration required see walmart plus terms and conditions the National Women's Soccer League kicks off March 16th on ION. Out in front to Williams. It's a new Saturday night destination featuring the best players in the world. Takes a shot, she scores. See the full schedule and find where to watch at IONNWSL.com. My son had a gift with technology. 
with reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program. The world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent, being there day and night, and building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.